In recent years, oppression and injustice have been thrown around in almost every aspect of our culture and lives. We hear it all the time in the news, in the media, no matter what, uh, whether you're on Twitter or Facebook or watching news, whatever, it's it's just been the rallying cry, the war cry even, uh, for a long time. And there's no debate. Oppression and injustice are real. But it's not new. Solomon saw it in his time, and he gave us a surprising take on why God permits injustice and oppression to continue on in our world. That's what we're going to talk about today. Thanks for joining us. Uh, my name is Doug Gooden. I am the president of Cross to Crown Ministries and New Covenant School of Theology. But in these morning devotional uh, the Bible studies, uh, my goal is to help you really understand the Word of God and to know how to study it for yourself and to think about your life and the world from a biblical worldview. So that's what we're going to do today as we consider our, or continue our study of the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, but first, I need to remind you, like I uh, try to remind you every morning, this is a good day. Today is a good day. We as Christians need to be filled with hope and joy. I hope you had a great weekend. Hope you had a great Lord's Day yesterday, worshiping and fellowshipping. And today, I hope Monday uh, is a day that you find the same uh, joy and devotion to the Lord Jesus as you did yesterday, even if you're getting back to work and, and other routines. So uh, I'm going to say my part, and you say your part, and I hope you have a, your cup of coffee as well. Uh, let's say this together. Today is the day the Lord has made, and your part, we will rejoice and be glad in it. And let's have our sanctified sip of coffee together to celebrate. Ah, that's good. Just another reason why this is a good day. All right, so we're continuing in Ecclesiastes, and we uh, last Friday we got through that section that uh, that we all know from the famous the birds song from the the '60s. Uh, there's a time for everything. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. Time for everything under the sun. And if you recall, we saw that that took a surprising turn as well. Solomon told us that God has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything is appropriate. Everything is fitting because God is the one who decides what time it is. So whatever you're going through, the hard things, they're not accidental. They're not from some outside force. God is the one that brings these seasons into our life. Uh, my family and I just came through in the last year, the hardest year of our life. And uh, we would have never dreamed that uh, we would have been experiencing the things that we experienced. It was hard. Uh, we had to spend a great amount of time in prayer and really trusting the Lord. And we went through this book of Ecclesiastes together as a family. And these sections that we're going through now were, were so helpful as God uh, reminded us that he ultimately is the one who brought this season into our life. And we need to find joy in him and trust him, even though it's hard, even though we don't like it. Solomon also said in that section that God has put eternity in our hearts. And remember, we talked about how that is so often uh, misquoted. Uh, it's not this, this eternal yearning for, for heaven, but it's this, this desire for what's coming next. We want to know what the future holds, and God has put that desire in us, and yet he intentionally frustrates us by not allowing us to see what's coming next. And just when we think we have it figured out, 
he takes us a different, different direction. Again, through the hard things, we, we think, okay, this life is moving along just great. And then something out of nowhere hits us. We think, how in the world? What's going on? And that's intentional by God to keep us from depending on ourselves. That's what we covered Friday. I want to pick up to the end of that section and then get on to today's section. So look at it with me here in uh, chapter 3, verse 14. I know that everything God does will remain forever. When he decides what time it is, it's going gonna, it's gonna to stay that time until he is done with it. You can't do anything. I can't do anything to change it. There's nothing to add to it. There's nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men should fear him. That's the goal. Remember, we talked about this. He wants you to fear him, not circumstances, not people, him. Verse 15, that which, has, uh, that which is has been already, and that which will be has already been, for God seeks what has passed by. Very strange phrase. I don't think we looked at it on uh, Friday, uh, but it could be taken two ways. It can be that God is seeking those who are persecuted. This word passed by here, in the English, uh, is in Hebrew and the Greek, it's the word for being pursued. Uh, so some commentators take this to mean he's talking about uh, he seeks those who are persecuted, uh, which could fit the context, but more likely uh, he's talking about time has passed by. Time has pursued us and chased us down and moved on, and God seeks that which has pursued us and brings it back to his purposes, I think is what he's getting at. Now moving on to the the new section, verse 16. Furthermore, I have seen under the sun that in the place of justice, there is wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, there is wickedness. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever looked out at the world and observed that uh, in the place of righteousness is wickedness? In the place of uh, justice, there there is wickedness? Uh, Anna Lisa, or Anna, Anna Trevor, <laughs> kind of making an assumption there. Uh, good morning, glad you joined us. Uh, have you seen this? Have you, have you looked out at the world and realized, hmm, there's supposed to be justice. Think about the courts. That's the place of justice. We want to believe that we could go to court and a, an honest judge would evaluate our case. He would look at all the evidence and he would listen to the prosecution and the defense and he and the jury together that they would come down with a, um, a declaration that is righteous and just. And Solomon looks out and says, as I look under the sun, in the place of justice, there's wickedness. Have you seen that? Yeah, it, it seems to be all over our court system. Everybody's clamoring for justice, everybody. Uh, think about all the picketing signs, all the protest signs we saw last year as the, as the uh, BLM uh, marches and, and others. You know, no justice, no peace. Are they really wanting justice? Uh, I did a whole sermon series last year called Understanding the Times where we uh, really dove into um, all of those things. What's going on in our culture? What's the, the cultural Marxism that drives all of this, the intersectionality and, and so on? Uh, there's... They say they want justice, but really they want power. And this is nothing new. This has gone on forever. Solomon looks out at the world that he lives in. He looks at the nations that he's become friends with. He, he looks at the own, his own uh, judges in his land and he says, there's not righteousness here. There's not justice. There's wickedness. So what's his conclusion? Where does he go with that? 
Verse 17, I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man for a time for every matter and every deed is there. Ultimately, everybody stands before God at judgment and God sees what's going on and he will bring something to pass. He will bring justice eventually. Now, I don't know, uh, a lot of commentators think he's talking, that Solomon here is talking about the final judgment, looking ahead to what he means at the end of the book. I don't think so. I think the flow here is God's going to judge uh, injustice uh, sometimes now, not all, not in every case, of course. And there we do take some comfort that that um, dishonest judges and politicians and governments they will eventually stand before God and He will hold them accountable for their uh, oppression. But in the flow of the argument here, it seems more likely to me that He's saying. God's watching now, and, and he does bring about uh, ramifications, not immediately, and we don't always recognize it, we don't always see it, but over time, there are a, a lot of temporal judgments laid out on, uh, on unjust judges and politicians, even in our day. Again, sometimes it, it looks to us like they get away with it, and we take comfort in knowing that eventually God will uh, bring them righteousness. He says, God's going to judge them. There's a time for everything. And it may not be the time in America right now for God to hold everyone accountable, in, again, in our government and in places of power. It may not be the time that he's holding them accountable. Sometimes God gives unjust leaders to a nation in his judgment on that nation. We see that over and over again in the Old Testament. And certainly America has gone down a path that it, is, uh, it would be right of God to judge us as America and give us wicked leaders who are oppressive, who are unjust, who enact unjust laws, because that's what we deserve. We've turned our back against God as a government. Uh, now, I'm pretty optimistic, so I'm not giving up. I'm not convinced that, uh, that America is, is going to hell in a handbasket, as they say. Um, I think this could be the purging uh, of God, that eventually we come out of this on the other side, and uh, we have people who pursue the right things. I don't know. Uh, as, as Solomon has told me over and over again, I can't predict the future. I don't know what the future holds, um, but I think that's possible. So I, I, I'm not uh, hopeless in this, um, but God is uh, the one who decides what time it is, and he may be giving us unjust judges for a purpose, or he may turn that around. So then Solomon says, I said to myself concerning the sons of men, God has surely tested them in order for them to see that they are but beasts. What do you mean, Solomon? Well, verse 19, for the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath and there is no advantage for man over beast for all is vanity. All go to the same place. All come from the dust. All return to the dust. Who knows that the breath of man ascends upward and the breath of the beast descends downward to the earth. So what's he getting at there? Sounds, again, very fatalistic, uh, but I don't think so. He's, he's talking about there's unrighteousness in the earth, and God is the one who holds it all in his hands. Uh, why? Why does God bring these times of injustice? Why does he say, now is the time in America where I'm going to let, ironically, those who are clamoring Oh, look at all the injustice. Look at all the oppression. Look how we're all being oppressed. They are the ones who are oppressing others. 
I mean, think about the BLM marches. Think about all the, the Antifa protests of the last year. They go and, and they loot and they destroy property and, and take over whole segments of cities uh, in, in you know, the West Coast, north, Northwest, all in the name of justice. Well, none of that is just. Our laws say they're not allowed to do violence. They're allowed to march. They're allowed to protest, but they're not allowed to do violence. But those who are supposed to be the keepers of the justice turned a blind eye to it. Why does God allow that? Why does he allow what seems so obvious to some of us? Well, Solomon tells us he's really showing us that we're no different than the animals. Look again. Verse 18, I said to myself concerning the sons of men, God has surely tested them in order for them to see that they are but beasts. And this is what we see when we look at the animal kingdom. There's not a sense of justice there. Uh, the strong uh, predators roam around and they find their prey. And if they're stronger than their prey, they take them out. I was telling somebody the story the other night. Uh, we had an owl fly up in one of the trees behind our house. Uh, this has been a couple years ago. And the whole family gathered around to look. I don't know that uh, we certainly hadn't seen an owl that close uh, outside the zoo, you know. And so here it is in the tree. We heard it uh, hooing and uh, went out and, and saw it and looked up. And there it was just sitting there turning its head around, doing its thing. And we were kind of in awe. And I oh, wasn't that precious. Isn't that great? And especially my girls and my wife were all in that cute. And then it took off flying. And we saw that clutched in its, its claws was a rabbit. It might have been a baby rabbit. I forget. And suddenly our, our, uh, our response went from, oh, isn't that precious to that, that's horrible. And, and uh, I think my girls thought it was awful. Uh, why would this mean owl, you know, want to kill this little, little bunny? That's what animals do. That's what beasts do. Uh, another occasion, we had a couple of falcons fly and land on a fence. And there were uh, some baby ground squirrels. And uh, you could just see what was happening. Those falcons, one on either side, they had them surrounded. They had, them, uh, had their, their battle plan laid out. And they just, they just sat there on the fence, kind of like, we all know how this is going down. When we're ready, little squirrel, you are ours. <laughs> we're going to take you out. And I stood and watched them for a long time, thinking they were going to jump on the squirrels. And finally, uh, I had to go, and I'm not sure what happened. But this is what happens. You see dead animals all over the place. The stronger animals oppress. Uh, they're not worried about justice. They're not worried about what is right. They attack any animal they can uh, to, to get their food. That's what they do. God allows this injustice in our, in, in our world of, of men to show us, you know, we don't act any different than the beasts do. We're evil. We're cruel. We're unjust. And then what happens? Verse 19. For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Just as that bunny died in the clutches of that owl, uh, men are going to die as well. They all have the same breath. There's no advantage for man over beast. All is vanity. Remember we talked about that. That is the recurring theme of this book. All is vanity. Our life is just that vapor, that mist. It's out there for a moment and then it dis dissipates. Well, you're going to die just like the squirrels that uh, were dead on the side of the road when you drove into work today or uh, wherever you're going. The same fate is coming for us all. 
It's all vanity. And then he says, verse 20, all go to the same place. Now that's not hell. The Jews did not have a very robust view of what happens after life. Think about this. As you ponder the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, as you go through the rest of the history books, you read the Psalms, you read the prophets, all of the warnings, all of the, 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 the certain outcomes upon mankind, they're temporal. Everybody's going to Sheol. That's the place of the dead. The, the Jews are going to die and go be with their fathers. We see that kind of phrasing over and over again. They didn't talk a lot about what happens after you die. There are a few places But generally speaking, the Jew is expecting to go to the grave. That's what they talked about. That's what they thought about. And I don't know if God hadn't revealed more of the afterlife to them, or if it's just because the the covenant itself was so temporal and the the curses and the judgments in Deuteronomy 28 were temporal, not eternal, uh, and the blessings were temporal, not eternal. Uh, I I suspect it's a a combination of both of those, that God had not revealed the full plan of of what was going to happen after life. But they just didn't talk about it. So Solomon here is not discussing that all of us go to hell. He's saying we're all going to die. All are going to the same place, meaning the grave. And he's drawing from Genesis chapter 3 after the fall. Look at the end of verse 20. All came from the dust and all returned to the dust. Remember? That's what God said. Now that you have sinned, Adam, and have brought death into this world, from dust you've, but dust you've come, to dust you will return. That's what's going to happen to animals. That's what happens to us as human beings. Who knows that the breath of man ascends upward and the breath of the beast descends downward to the earth? Do we know that? Maybe Solomon did know it. And maybe he's not uh, truly asking here. This could be a rhetorical statement. But from our perspective under the sun, from the agnostic, the atheist, the the worldview that denies the existence of anything beyond the sun, there is no way for an evolutionary theory adherent to believe there's anything after life. Who knows? It sure looks like we and the beasts just do the same thing. Our spirits die. And in fact, the the atheist uh, probably wouldn't even say we have a spirit. Uh, From this perspective of this world, There is no hope of anything beyond the grave. We're just like animals. And think about what evolutionary theory has done to our world. This is true. They acknowledge this. They the the honest evolutionist says, yep, this is all there is. And and man is simply a more sophisticated beast than the other animals. But we're all animals. Well, if animals kill each other indiscriminately, and if they have no sexual ethics, and if they have no purpose and meaning in life, and it really is a survival of the fittest among the animals, and humans are just advanced, sophisticated, self-conscious animals, then it makes absolute sense. In fact, it's inevitable that our world would be full of humans who act just like animals, who have the sexual ethics of animals, who have the hopelessness of animals, who have the, the, the power trips and the, 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 um, uh, the, the strong survive mentality. So be strong because that's what happens in the world of animals and that's, that's who we are. Uh, 
that's where we've come because we've rejected anything beyond this world. And Solomon says, if that's true, if there's nothing beyond the sun, then life is meaningless and hopeless, and we are no different than beasts. And that's why God allows all of this oppression and injustice in our culture, in our lives. So think about that as you're watching this week unfold, and undoubtedly there will be more cries of injustice and oppression uh, from politicians, from from uh, Marxists, from from all all quarters. Why is God allowing this awful worldview to persist? He wants the world to take a look and say, "Wait a minute, are we really no better than this? Are we just going to die and that's it? Is there nothing uh, beyond?" the sun. And here's where we as Christians can come running in and say, yes, there is. There is something beyond the sun. More importantly, there is someone beyond the sun. Jesus Christ created this world. He's our judge. He's building his kingdom. And you are a sinner and I am a sinner. And he came to this world and died on the cross, the ultimate injustice. He never once disobeyed God. He never once did anything unjust. He never oppressed anyone. And yet God treated him as though he were you and me. He treated Jesus as though he were the unjust one and the oppressive one. And he poured out his wrath on Jesus and said, anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus, anyone who believes that Jesus died for our sins and rose again, will have eternal life. Because there is something beyond the sun. There is something better and more righteous than here and now. Here's the place that we have the opportunity to share that with the world and bring them good news of great joy because they, they can't find it with their worldview. It's not there. We're just beasts. We're no better. And that's what God's trying to communicate to everybody. We have ample evidence of this. You know, when we think about how do we get into a biblical conversation? How do we get into a gospel conversation with somebody? Well, just look at all the evil in the world. Look at how men and women act just like animals and ask them, in your heart, do you really not see a difference between mankind and animals? Is there justice in this? No. But let me tell you about the one who is just, and thankfully, he is gracious. And that allows us to live the way Solomon tells us to live here at the end of chapter 4. He comes back to his same conclusion. I have seen that there is nothing... Uh-oh, what in the world did I just do? Hang on, hit the wrong button. There we go. <laughs> I have seen that there is nothing, that nothing is better than that man should be happy in his activities. For that is his lot. For who will bring him to see what will occur after him? We can't see the future. We don't know how this is all going to play out in our lifetimes, in the upcoming days and weeks and, and months as far as justice. There's, a, there's an election day tomorrow night. That's going to matter. That's going to have some impact on the world. Um, and so you should vote. If you're in a, in a place where there's important elections on senators and governors, and the car, Vote. It matters. And certainly Solomon and the Bible would not tell us to, to just take a careless view of all these things where we can make a difference, we should. But at the end of the day, as he's been saying over and over again, don't get wrapped up. Don't, don't, call, don't allow 
the world's uh, worldview and don't allow your present circumstances to define your joy. There's nothing better, he says, nothing better than that man should be happy in his activities. That's, that's what we take joy in. We can take joy in our work knowing that God is the one who's going to bring the season to pass. This season will pass and he's got a purpose in it. Uh, you can't decide what's coming next. You have to wait and trust the Lord and he is trustworthy and he is good. So you can walk the rest of this day joyful no matter what because God's in control and he has a plan. Any questions, comments on that before we uh, before we call it a day and get on with our joy-filled uh, activities? Uh, I see Anna Trevor Holt on there. Anybody else, uh, you or anybody else have any thoughts, anything you want to say, or should we... Uh, should we get on about it? I, I think you know this can sound depressing. This can sound hopeless. I think I said this at the very beginning of this study. If you just read through uh, Ecclesiastes once, it seems nihilistic. It seems hopeless. But the more you really see what he's arguing for, it can bring great joy. In fact, it points us to the only place that there is true joy and happiness. It's knowing God's in control. He doesn't want you to find out everything. He is not doing things to make you happy. But if you will fear him, you will be happy. All right. Well, I'm not seeing any uh, any questions or comments, so I'm going to call it a day. Have a great blessed day and come back tomorrow and we will continue on with our look at Ecclesiastes.